The reason we invited the children to stay this morning, let me uh, begin again, first of all, by saying good morning and welcome. Uh, but we've asked your, uh, you parents to hold your children for a few minutes before you release them to class because we have uh, a special video again. As was mentioned last week, we had the opportunity to see uh, Larry and Bess from House of Compassion International in Israel. And that's one of the uh, mission efforts that you and we as a fellowship help support. Uh, if you're curious at all, a lot of these pictures and what they do are on our missions wall in the hallway. If you've never taken a look, stop by there. But our intent over the next handful of weeks is to give us all a glimpse, uh, those of us that may be fairly new to the church or not familiar with who House of Compassion International is or the Aided Children's Ministry Home or uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, Pat and Lois Gorley, and on and on and on it goes. There may, be some, there may be some of you that don't know who those folks are and why we help support. So this morning we are running a video that uh, our dear friends over in the Philippines put together for us. So without further ado, uh, Chris has it queued up. Let's watch this. And just wanted you, some of you uh, are very familiar with the work that Calvary Chapel Valley Springs has been involved in over the years in the Philippines. But to some of you, that may be a bit new. So I hope it was uh, informative and refreshing. Um, as I said, over the next few weeks, we'll be running things, hopefully, from uh, uh, the Ataya family in um, Thailand through Assist International, as well as we're looking uh, for Kelly Pop to come up from National Schools Project, uh, Andrew and Rebecca Lasavio, who we help support uh, work in uh, Albania, and then the Gorleys, who help translate scripture for all over the world. So. You know, just know that your gifts and tithes, your offering here, our policy at CCVS from the very beginning is that whatever comes in, we take a tenth of and give it to missions work. And, you know, for many years, I used to think, you know, we would send a missionary somewhere. Keep waiting for that to happen. It's about, been about 25 years or so. We haven't literally sent anyone necessarily to a foreign land as a missionary. We've uh, trained up a couple of different men that are now either pastoring churches or assisting, uh, and that's been a great privilege. We've raised up others here who are deep in the work, but your hand is touching missions work throughout the world as you give, so we wanted you to be aware of that. Uh, this morning, we are going to take a look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, would you turn there with me this morning, Philippians chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, simply slip up your hand. Uh, Dean and the men are here ready to place one in so you can follow along. We're going to be reading from uh, chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3 congregationally, and then we're going to take a running jump through about the first 16 verses this morning. Uh, so, with that, can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. And 
I will read verse 1, if you'll read verse 2, and then I'll read verse 3. And I think we have it up on our screen this morning, so if you need to follow along with that version, that'll be fine. Uh, Chapter 3, the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you... It is safe. Verse 2. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, what a delight to hold in our hands and even more correctly in our hearts, this living word. We pray that as we break it together this morning, as it is passed to us through the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would speak to each life here, that you would take this time and make it a holy time, an insightful time, an instructive time to each one of us, Lord, for we long to hear from you and we trust that you will speak and are speaking already. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In verse 3, The apostle said, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. What does it mean to truly worship God in the spirit? The true worship of God in the spirit. It is interesting, the word worship. If you study your Bible at all, you'll remember that... uh, Taking note of its first appearance in Scripture is always a a good uh, way to get introduced to a topic, to a theme. It first appears actually all the way back in Genesis 22 uh, at what we would call the Moriah moment. When Isaac is with his father Abraham and God has given the commandment to Abraham to go and to offer his son Isaac, as an offering. And the men that Abraham and Isaac are with are traveling along, and then Abraham gives the men this directive. He says, you stay here. Genesis 22, verse 5, he says, I and the lad will go. We will worship, and we will come back again to you. In the mind of Abraham, whatever was going to happen, knowing that God had asked him to offer his son as a sacrifice, uh, an expression of his deepest devotion to the true and the living God, Abraham was convinced in his mind that if necessary, God would raise Isaac from the dead. We will go, we will worship, and we will return to you. The word worship appears there. Many of you who know the account remember that 
as Abraham in obedience lifted the knife to uh, offer his son, God stopped him. And out of the thicket a lamb, a ram came. Many places the term worshipped or worship is found in scripture. We know, of course, Moses was commanded to go up to the mountain and worship God. The patriarch David tells us in Psalm 99, exalt the Lord and worship at his footstool. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that we will uh, not worship your gods. In the New Testament, it is an interesting Greek word that has always um, just really drawn me to the, the original word in Aramaic and Greek is a word that uh, is comprised of two uh, words. In the New Testament, the word worship is proskuneo. And the uh, preposition pros means to throw forward a f- or forward. And kuneo is uh, a kiss. So if you would like to remember this, that In the New Testament sense, when Jesus talked about worship of God, it is the throw, the forward throw of a kiss to God. That's what worship, Jesus explained, is. In John's gospel, when Jesus was talking with the Samaritan woman, she, of course, thinking he was a prophet, said to him that our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. And Jesus reminded her that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will neither worship the Father, will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 4, 23 and 24. So, Jesus talked about this worship of God in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, here in the third chapter, talks about worshiping God in the Spirit. Under the old covenant, to worship God meant... uh, or the true worship of God was was actually assessed by the obedience to commands, often involving, of course, sacrifice, many offerings, and the adherence to the laws of Moses. As the old system of worship was uh, misused and misabused, of course. We we got into the history of the nation. They were carried away captive because they did not keep the commandments of God. Only to return again to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, moving fast forward in history. Again, by the time we get to the time of Jesus, the pharisaical approach to what it meant to worship God and obey the laws of God, they had created something that had 650 laws to obey in order to be one who was assessed as a true worshiper of God. 650. 
How many of you know the Ten Commandments offhand, right? 650. And we're told in the New Testament that what the law could not do, God did in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. So under this new covenant, the true worshipers of God, we ask the question, what is a true worshiper of God in the spirit? Well, I was, of course, reminded of one of the incorrect examples we have in the New Testament in the, the books of First and, Corinth, uh, and Second Corinthians. Remember the Corinthian church. They believed themselves to be extremely spiritual. They believed themselves and, in fact, were possessors of many spiritual gifts. They witnessed healings, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps. And though the, quote, spiritual gifts were in operation in the Corinthian church, the true worship of God in the spirit, which we will see in a moment as we go through this third chapter, what was absent. Remember, Paul had to write to them and he said to them, uh, I wanted to write to you as being spiritual, but I couldn't because you are carnal. They were demonstrative in their appearance of being spiritual, but in their lives, in the church itself, there were Grievous practices going on, which brings us this morning again to true worship of God in the Spirit. What is it? I know in my small brief history of walking with the Lord and going to church, I've been going to church now some 35, 40 years, um, and in a variety of different denominational and non-denominational churches and uh, have had the privilege of, of witnessing or, or being involved, that's not even the correct word, being a part at given times of different kinds of worship services. And though this morning I'm not here to judge or say one is correct, one is incorrect, that's not what this is about this morning, I remember being in, in very uh, active worship services where the things that were going on would cause one to think that this is a very spiritual environment, perhaps even a true spiritual worship of God environment. Um, and yet, when I come to this passage, I, I, I lock in on Paul's statement about we... He's saying we, he's talking to the Christian. He's talking to the Christians in Philippi. So therefore, he's talking to the Christians in the church worldwide. And he's saying we, we are the circumcision or those who have, he talks about that, have been committed, truly committed to the true and the living God. Who, and we who have, are committed to God, we worship God in the spirit. And he has been defining it all through the chapter. 
So I'd like to bring with, to you this morning a few things that I've observed that, to me, are Paul's assessment of what true worship of God in the Spirit is. I draw us back to verse 1, where he says, Finally, my brethren, and he, he can't quite end it that way. He says, finally, again in chapter 4. But he says, My brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. In other words, you know what? He could write this over and over and over again, and he would not get tired of it because he knows that for the Christian reading it, those who he's sending it to, is it not safe for us always to remain in the Scripture, hearing again and again and again the things God says? We forget too easily. And so Paul reminds him, it's safe for me to write this to you. And he gives these warnings in verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now he, of course, is speaking of those in the Judaism sect who said that it's okay for you to espouse being a Christ follower, but to truly worship God, you must also. And the also always involved physical acts of obedience to the laws of Moses and the, law, the pharisaical laws, those 650, to the point of when he uses the word mutilation, he's talking about those who insisted on circumcision for salvation. Because he corrects that false doctrine Dogs that would come in and and destroy the grace of God. Evil workers that would come in and and undo the grace of God by producing something incorrect as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we, we're the ones who, you know, uh, emancipated in God. We're the true worshipers of God in the spirit. And here's how we begin. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, number one. The true worshiper of God in the Spirit this morning learns how to rejoice in Christ Jesus and not try to have confidence in our flesh, in the person of who we are. We have suffered through, uh, suffered's a strong word, we have endured through a, over a year of uh, this national pandemic, global pandemic, and many hardships have been brought upon many lives. There has been loss of life due to uh, medical illnesses. There has been Uh, loss of businesses, uh, loss of educational opportunities. I mean, it's just been, we could all, it would be nice to sit down sometime and talk about how negatively impacted our lives were over this last year, year and a half through COVID-19. But it would be even better yet to sit down and, and find where we figured out how to rejoice in God. Because irregardless of the circumstance of our lives, 
we are called to find that place of rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing in the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. It's, it's a personal decision. It's a commitment of the, of the volition to say, horrific times, hardships, yes, but I will rejoice. And the way I rejoice is that I recognize that I'm, there's nothing in me that is of any good that, that is in my flesh. There dwells no good thing. So I don't have confidence in, in my flesh to be able to please God or to uh, bring joy to the heart of God or to even obey the commandments of God in, in my flesh. I love what one pastor just recently reminded me of. He says, I'm my own full-time job. I can't take care of you. And isn't that true? We are our own full-time job. I mean, it's a full-time job in Christ to just stay before his feet, to stay uh, seeking his presence, as Paul will talk about in just a little bit. So rejoicing in Christ Jesus and having no confidence in the flesh. Now, he, he could have. We talked about this a bit Last week, verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But he goes on here to give to his reader, and I think then therefore to us, this second insight on the true worshiper of God in the Spirit when he says, but what things were gained to me, looking at my life naturally, prior to Christ, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Key words there, be found in him. Here's how he is found in Christ. Not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Second insight. The true worshiper of God in the Spirit knows that their righteousness is by faith in Christ alone. That God doesn't look down from heaven and see a, a nice kind of... Uh, put-together bow kind of life where maybe, you know, you don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't chew or go those with do. How's that phrase go? He doesn't look down from heaven and, and take count of, of your exterior behavioral things and go, wow, great person. That person, yep, 
righteous. No, he does not. In fact, every good deed that you and I might think that we do, that sometimes, you know, and I, this is me, I'm speaking for myself, of course, that, well, that was really kind of Christ-like. I went and served here or did this. Isaiah tells us that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. No. The only thing that makes you and I righteous in the eyes of God is faith in Christ alone. And so the true worshiper of God in the Spirit rejoices in Christ and takes no confidence in their flesh. The true worshiper of God in the Spirit remains steadfast that their righteous position is because of their faith in Christ alone. A third insight that the Apostle gives to us comes to us in verse 10 when he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Third insight to the true worship of God in the Spirit, a growing knowledge of resurrection power and the fellowship of suffering. Let me restate it again. A growing knowledge of resurrection power and the fellowship of suffering. We all would like to experience resurrection power. I think of the, one of the more recent Chris Tomlin songs now, he says, and I have resurrection power. What is resurrection power? Sometimes it may seem elusive if you get bogged down through the course of a, a single day trying to work through interpersonal conflicts, trying to work through fighting, being a Christian in, in the environment in which you live and work. What is resurrection power? Resurrection power is 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 acknowledging or embracing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I do not have to be dragged down by the things that go on around me. And if I will indeed ask God to fill me afresh with his spirit, that spirit of the power, the resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, lives in us. Resurrection power. You ever feel pulled down? I do. Do you ever feel or sense that this fight that we're involved in is not sure where it's going to end up? Resurrection power. God, fill us with resurrection power. But notice that is not a standalone, which invites me to uh, be curious and discover, well, what is the, the second part of this thing? Resurrection power must be t- 
tied to and come with a fellowship of his suffering. What is the fellowship? The oneness of a suffering for Christ. How did Christ suffer? Well, we often think of his brutal crucifixion uh, him being whipped prior to being put on that cross. Yes, okay, but did he not look at Jerusalem? Those that he came to and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to have brought you into my bosom. He grieved in a broken heart for those that rejected the life of God. Do you grieve today? Are there loved ones and family members and people that come across your path that your heart is broken because they are not willing, ready to receive the love of God? That's a part of that fellowship of suffering. To know death, to know dying, to know human loss, to know dashed expectation, though our Savior knew all things. The true worshiper of God in the Spirit will, their lifelong, seek to have a growing knowledge. That means not just a one time, but continue to grow in me the knowledge of his resurrection power and the knowledge of the fellowship of his suffering. The fourth insight is probably the one that um, is most, I don't know, uh, tangible to me this morning as I just share this passage with you. Comes to us in verse 12 and he says, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I just all week long could not get past this one. Because what Paul is saying is that the true worshiper of God in the spirit, if I were to summarize this or paraphrase, they're living their life with with a, a singular clear purpose. There will be other things that come along with this, but there's a singular clear purpose. And what that purpose is, as he states it, is to lay hold, to, to wrap themselves around, to know clearly what it is, to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of me. How did he get your life? He died for you and me. He shed his blood so that we, our tattered, sinful carcasses of life could be redeemed and purchased back. Thank God for his blood and his body that we might now walk in newness of life with the resurrected Christ. And today we get to celebrate and remember what he's done. But, but why did he do that? He did that because... For you and me, listen, you're watching at home, anyone who has 
today, this morning, named the name of Christ, he has a specific purpose for you. He laid hold of you so that you may lay hold of that which he laid hold of you for. I was talking with someone in a gas station recently. and I walked in. And I don't know, maybe it's the gray hair of my, must, my mustache or the graying hair around here. I've been going into this market for a long time since the church is here. I usually buy a little milk to go with my oatmeal. And, you know, we have a little conversation, share the Lord once in a while. So I walk up to the counter and he says, so you're retired yet? I said, what a comment. You know, I said, retired? No. And, you know, saints, listen. If you can take a biblical truth... And any time someone engages you that you know is perhaps an unbeliever or not walking with God, and you can take this biblical truth, a biblical truth, and apply it to the conversation right then and right there, man, that's, that's like heaven. And I didn't walk in expecting to share anything, but as it came to me, it was like, oh, okay, well, what is retirement anyway, my friend? And he says, well, yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, retirement in the world, that's, that's a, a Western culture fantasy. Don't we read often that people who retire often are wondering what they're supposed to do next? Some of them end up going back to work. Some of them need to go back to work financially. A lot go back to work because they need... They need purpose. And as I was sharing this with this guy, I said, you, you retire, what are you going to do? Just nothing? What's your purpose then? What's your purpose? Church, what's your purpose for living this morning? You walk through those doors. You're going to go into the work week. What's your purpose today? And... This conversation ensued where it just came, you know, again, I was reminded that, no, we need, as human beings, physiologically, psychologically is true, but even further, as redeemed saints that walk with a living God, we need a purpose for why we get up each day and what we're doing through the day and what we're going through that day for. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It, whether, whatever age you are or I am, it's laying hold of that for which, let's read it again, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Oh, that that would be your and my pursuit. I can look back right now and go, well, I, I, I guess part of that, you made clear, Lord, I had to step into this thing called pastoring a church. I stepped wonderfully into this thing called being a husband, being a father. What is it that Christ has laid 
hold of you for? The true worshiper who worships God in the spirit is pressing to lay hold of that. Lastly, this morning, verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's as though Paul says that a part of the true worship of God in the Spirit is a continued pressing toward the goal. What goal? Spiritual perfection? No. What goal? A changed life? Well, that's going to come. But that goal of the upward call of God, continually, continually, continually seeking to let the Lord raise me up that more of Christ is found by me and in me, by you and in you. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Still trying to really understand that. The prize of the upward call. But the true worshiper of God in the Spirit is always pressing forward And he closes with this comment in verse 15, which I think is so applicable to us this morning. Many of us sitting in this room, a lot of you watching at home, have been walking with the Lord for a lot of years, right? Uh, The scriptures are not foreign to you. You know where the books of the Bible are, and you could recite various verses, what have you. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this same mind. And if anything, and if anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal even this to you. So here's a, here's a mark of maturity for the true worshiper of God in the Spirit. Think like I'm thinking on this. Has nothing to do with flamboyant, demonstrative acts in a gathering where you might think this is a, a real spiritual thing. True worshiper of God in the Spirit is clearly the mature individual who rejoices in Jesus Christ and doesn't take confidence in their flesh, who remembers that our righteous position is only because of our faith in Christ, who alone is righteous, that we are growing in our understanding of resurrection power at whatever place we understand it to be now because we're also growing in our understanding of the fellowship of his suffering while we are seeking to lay hold of that thing for which Christ laid hold of us and pressing on toward that goal of the upward call of God in Christ. the true worshiper of God and the Spirit. So this morning, we come looking at what Paul says and saying, okay, yes, amen, Lord. 
here I am. Once again, I remember what you did for me that I may be a true worshiper of God in the Spirit. You gave your body, your blood. And he said to each and every one of his followers that night prior to his death, do this in remembrance of me. Each time you take this cup, remember me and what I've done. So this morning, we want to be true worshipers in the Spirit. We remember what He's done. And we take stock and count in what Paul has said. Will you join me as we pray? How precious, Lord. How precious that you would reveal these things to your servant Paul. That he would reveal them to the, the Christians there in Philippi and ultimately through the word of God reveal it to all of humanity that would seek to follow Christ. Lord, this morning we embrace the, the gifts of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. We say yes and amen to the things that would constitute spiritual vibrancy in our heart and in this church. But Lord, to be part of your body that worships God in the Spirit. Only possible as we afresh commit ourselves to you. This morning we humbly, reverently prepare to take these elements, remembering what you have done for us, that we might live for you. Receive our worship. Receive our thanks, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. The men are going to bring the elements around and we'll partake together.